Left. Right. Welcome to the future. This episode, we are talking about the future of jobs. What jobs will exist in the future? Which new jobs that don't exist now will exist in the future? And which jobs that exist today will not exist in the future? By the way, this is recorded in the past. You can always catch us live on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and uh, you can feed us your questions live, real time. If you're watching this or you're listening to this post-production, you can always DM me or you can email me your questions. We will answer them on air. Next episode, actually, we will be answering a whole bunch of your questions. So stay tuned for episode 177. But for now, let the future commence. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. Welcome, everyone, to Sip Talk, episode 176. Today, we are talking about jobs of the future. My name is Justin DiGiulio, out of my basement in New Jersey, joined by James, the Bosonator Boswell, out of Charleston, South Carolina. James is a philosopher, a bartender, a professional referee, and most exciting of all, an accountant. James, nice to see you. Yep, those last two jobs are the ones that are killing me right now. Had five games over the weekend, and I'm just starting to recover from it today. And then accounting just continues to be a grind. So, good reason to have a drink tonight. What are you drinking? I am drinking the last of my Edmund Ost's Sour Strawberry Rhubarbs. Ooh, strawberry rhubarb. It's uh, it's springtime, so a lot of growing. A lot of growing going on. I don't know what you did over the weekend outside of refereeing for, for leisure and recreation. Didn't have time to do anything besides that. Damn man, I, uh, I planted grass. I planted some grass over the weekend, so I'm very excited for my grasslings to, uh, to start to pop up. Uh, I got a bottle of Talisker Storm. Uh, I'm going to give that a shot. This looks like a new, newly designed bottle, so it's probably a... A one-off, not a super super common bottle of Talisker, but it's a nice bottle of scotch, and uh, I plan to enjoy it over the course of this episode, in which we're going to be talking about jobs that will no longer exist in the future, and we'll be talking about new jobs, jobs that don't that exist don't now. exist yet. Yeah. So what 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 do you want to get started with first? Should we should we lead with the I think we should talk about the stuff that's going to phase out first, and then it, uh, that naturally parlays into what it will transform into. Okay, so that's that's the most contentious part, right? <laughs> that's what we were talking about right before we went on air. Yeah? Yeah, so... So I, you, you have some opinions you, on this. Yeah, so I, I think that... So the, the list that you sent me from Monster UK list 10 jobs and if you want to just go back and forth like i'm gonna like i think we should talk about each one individually instead of just r- running down the list no i'd like to do that i'll let you hit this list and then we'll you know we, we'll discuss it all right so the first one travel agent jobs so i when, when was the last time so i remember as a kid uh my mom calling the travel agent and we would book through a travel agent when was the last time you mm-hmm. traveled and did you use a travel agent in the past 10 years, I think I've done it once, and it was when I was on a business trip um, where the, the company that was flying me somewhere used a travel agent because they were coordinating probably 80 or 100 people from all over the country traveling to the same location. So having a travel agent do that instead of the company do that or having the employees book their own travel was easier for them. Um, but the company and so it, yeah. I, the, Well, the company ended up paying for it, but... It was one of those ones where instead of having it being handled by somebody in the company, they outsourced it to a travel agency. Um, What I would say is, like, those jobs won't exist in the future because they don't really exist now. Or 
I don't think that they're going to go completely away because there still is a a use for people in in like for large companies that need to like coordinate things or yes there are websites where you can kind of plan every aspect of your your vacation but if you are rich enough then you're going to pay somebody else to do that work for you you just call <laughs> up your travel agent and be like hey i'm going to go to fiji for a week um find me flights find me a hotel find me a nice resort and find me an activity or two to do while i'm there and because if you do that on your own, that's probably an hour or two out of your time. And if you're rich enough, you'd rather just spend the couple hundred dollars to not waste an hour or two of your time. Well, I think so, I think the travel agent is when you're trying to be all inclusive. So when you not all inclusive as in an all inclusive resort, but you want one person who's going to plan the flights, and they will also plan the hotel, and they will also plan the excursions. Right. Yet. Uh, you know, if you're just going to book a flight in a hotel, which is honestly super easy, you're barely working. Uh, you know, you're you're not getting on the phone anymore. You're you're barely doing any work. You're just logging into Google or you're going to the airline website. Uh, right now, I just type in flights to Florida, flights to Dominican Republic. Um, you know, wherever I got to go, hotel in in New York City, and it. Google has this, it allows you to book through Google and it compares the prices so you get the lowest price. That seems pretty easy. Yeah, but even think about it for, for people that are rich enough that even like 15 or 30 minutes of something is too much work for them to do, they, that's where you have a travel agent. So I don't think that it's going away, but it's certainly not a growth industry. Yeah, uh, I think it's going to shrink. I, I, I will... Yeah, but I don't think it has much farther to shrink. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair enough. But I don't see it going away entirely. You're right. Um, but but it's it's pretty much non-existent in, in most of our lives as things are now. What do you get next? Um, next one. Uh, hold on a second. All right. Uh, next one, cashier jobs. And they say the rise of self-service checkout suggests that cashiers may one day become obsolete. Like... And they, and they talk about st stores having like RFID systems on the items and you just check yourself out. And I think this is one of the ones that is probably the most incorrect. You think cashiers are going to continue to exist in 10 years? Mm-hmm. And because of the, you don't think RFID is going to take off? What's your, because I, I think cashier jobs are, go, I'm like I'm watching them vanish. But what's your take? Uh, that... In order to implement a system that works well is going to be very capital intensive and so maybe the largest stores would try doing something like that but any small or medium-sized business is probably going to look at the initial capital expenditure as too high compared to the relatively menial wages that they're paying their cashiers and you might see more self-checkouts but how many times have you gone to a store and had an issue with self-checkout that you've needed to have like someone assist you with and swipe their card and type in a code so that they could override whatever error you were getting on the computer. So You uh, think that yeah. those systems are going to be perfected? I don't. Well, I particularly enjoy cashing myself out and not cashing myself out entirely. Um, <laughs> you know, because uh, Actually, there have been times, I'm joking, but there have been times where I've walked out of the store and realized when I got home that I, you know, I didn't pay for something. Or, uh, right. You know, or so that's actually, the, I tried to return things, and they weren't on the receipt at all, meaning I, I didn't bring them up. Uh, yeah, so I, that, that's another issue is, like, inventory shrink is already, like, kind of enemy number one in retail. And having a system where you're trusting the, the customers to cash themselves out accurately is going to increase shrink by a huge amount. Like, even with honest people like you and me, mistakes get made. Now, take dishonest people. Yeah, like, but that, but so that's, that's where the RFID system comes into play, where you have items that are marked. How does RFID work? By Bluetooth? Or what? No, radio frequency. Radio, okay. RFID, radio frequency ID. Oh, okay. Fair, fair enough. So, so these are... But that's a little more expensive at this point in time than self-checkout. Yeah, I know and like also Amazon think, about, think about 
if you run a business that's relatively small, well, actually, let's start with the really big. So think about Walmart. If you were to walk into just a random Walmart somewhere, how many different item SKUs do you think exist in that single Walmart? There's got to be maybe, yeah, in the, in the six figures, hundreds of thousands. I wouldn't be surprised if you had 100,000 or more individual yeah. SKUs for items in, in, in a Walmart. So and that's now our ID gets gets more complex, yeah. Right. So now try you're going to have to have 100,000 individually programmed tags and then in multiples because you don't have one of just each item. Yeah, that's Think about how colossal like think about how much more difficult that is than having cuz like most of the SKUs are going to be based off of like the manufacturers. Like the manufacturer makes the item and puts a tag on it. And Walmart probably just programs that tag into their system. So that way they don't, like, Walmart will probably then, like, at one point have a, a reference table where let's say the manufacturer SKU is 1, 2, 3, 4. Walmart probably says it's Walmart SKU W1234. And so they just have a map of every time that they get a new item, they just look at whatever the manufacturer SKU is, and then they just map it to a Walmart SKU. And then you don't have to print out individual tags for each of those. You can just use the tag that was on the item that the manufacturer shipped to you, and when you scan it in, the software just does a quick comparison and says, okay, M1234 equals W1234, price is $10, go. Now think about having to... Every single item that walks in the door is going to need to be manually tagged with the correct RFID. And well, I, you're going to need to have enough RFID chips for every single item in your store. And they all need to be programmed and operating correctly. And you know how easy it is to defeat RFID? Just cover it. No you idea. just wrap if you yeah if you wrap an RFID tag 100% like completely around with tinfoil, then that that's a pretty guaranteed way to defeat like anti theft because anti theft devices work on RFID. So if you want to steal something, like I'm not encouraging you to do this, but if you want to, wrap the RFID thing 100% around with tinfoil, and you'll probably get away with it. Well, you got to be uh, ballsy enough to bring and and. Uh, you got to be able to get tinfoil into the store. Tinfoil, in my experience, is quite noisy. But right, uh, the, you know, the, the if you bring in a, if you bring in a square of it and you want to and you want to steal one particular item, I guess I guess that might work. But but look, I I think cashiers. I mean, I go to the bank and they incur they incur. There's one person at at the teller window and there's six machines. Um, I go to there's a Target near my house and the line can be winding through the fucking store like 50 yards long and around the corner and it's all people lined up to go to the self-checkouts and there's one person manning a register which to me is fucking insane that they let the line get that well, big part of that is that retail has just like trimmed their their staffing to the absolute minimum skeleton crews so that's more on the way that big box retail is is staffing themselves yeah but like, I see I'm, that, and i'm I see not saying that, like, i'm saying that Self-checkout will continue to rise, but purely autonomous, like 0% staffing cashier, cashierless retail, I don't think is realistic. No, I, I, I agree with you completely. It's not that you're going to walk into a store that has no employees and that there will be employees manning the area and there for assistance. But, uh, but I do see cashier jobs being something that virtually disappear the way that we know it today so a couple in years terms ago, of like the cashier scanning in every single item yeah that that probably starts to dwindle but if you think of cashier as assisting with self-checkout and occasionally like in probably having one or two people on staff to actually manually check out customers like that's that's just not going away yeah, no, there's there's always going to be someone there. All right, let's let's hit the next one because we could talk. <laughs> I feel like cashier jobs. We, yeah, we both really yeah, yeah. Telemarketer jobs. Um, okay. This is one that I don't think is going to make anyone sad. <laughs> so uh, the the first line of the, the note under this one in the article is notice a rise in the number of robocalls. I think we all have. I get them in Chinese yeah. and in uh, Spanish as well as English. 
And since my number is all over the internet, my phone rings nonstop. I get a ton of telemarketing. What? But the one thing that I would think is that when I when the phone rings and it sounds robotic or it sounds pre-recorded, I always hang up. But almost always, when it's a real person, I don't want to hang up on them. So my strategy for robocalls is. If there's a, if I get a call from a number that I don't recognize, like if I if it if it if it says like spam detected or something like that, I just won't answer. But if it's like if it goes through, what I'll usually do is I'll answer and then pick up and not say a word. <laughs> I I do I do that sometimes too, um, but yeah, I think uh, I think telemarketer jobs definitely will shrink because of the robocalls. But also now we get text messages that come through that are. Um, like spam text messages. It used to be email, and then it was phone calls, and now we're getting text messages. So uh, I think there will still be some telemarketing because I think the actual human on the other end of the line sticks. I think some people stay on the line a, a bit longer, but yeah, I don't think I, I mean, I, I don't know if that's so much a job as that it's going to just end up being scams because... Well, like, what about collections? They, they, what about collections? Um... People who are in collections tend not to answer their phone, no matter what. <laughs> um, all right, let's let's hit the the next one here. <laughs> uh, next one's going to be safety inspector jobs, and the idea is that like a lot of safety inspection is going into, by definition, dangerous environments. So you think of like mines or like the top of uh, wind turbines, places that are difficult and dangerous to get. And with the drone, you can get there pretty easily. And if something bad happens, you lost a drone, not a person. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll buy that. But I still think you need that visual, that that human element to... to I, I wouldn't say the visual. I would say that they're... Like, let's say you need to inspect a wind turbine. So you you probably want to look at, like, the actual gears and the like the machinery in there. And a drone's not going to be able to like easily access those panels. You still need someone there to get up there and manipulate and move stuff around. And drones aren't very good at that. Well, yeah, fair enough. But I'll, I'll give you one example that where the human element plays a factor. My car right now runs fine. And there's no lights on under the dash. But when I'm driving it, I can feel a slight vibration. And I know something is not perfect. I think it's a. I think it's a uh, one of the weights on the on the wheels. So you get a slight a slight vibration. But that's something that it takes an actual person to be able to be there and diagnose. Not that it's a catastrophic. You know, there's going to be a catastrophic failure because of it. But there's a human element of getting a feel or a vibe that's just not right. And over time, yeah. it it could cause some issue. And but, that's really difficult right. to program in. I think that there's going to be more applications for drones in the future, but they're, like, much like you've said, there are some things that it's virtually impossible to replace a human's ability to do. All right, well, here's, here's the next one when it comes to drones and, and robots. Assembly line worker jobs. This is probably the one on the list that I agree the most with. Yeah, I'm trying to... Think of some assembly line work that hasn't already been automated and what's holding it back from being automated. Can you think of anything that st we still have on an assembly line? That's I, I can't think of a human assembly line that we that we off the top of my head right now. Am I missing something? That's no, the only thing I'm because the, the type of jobs that I'm thinking would be harder to automate would be the actual machining. So, like, uh, when I was in accounting, every year I would go at the end of the year to do inventory for an aerospace parts manufacturer. So, mm -hmm. these are the people making, like, the nozzles and the valves that go into, like, jet engines or space engines. Mm -hmm. And so, they just have, like, big blocks of steel, and then they'd have these crazy, complicated machines with people operating them, machining things to within a thousandth of an inch. Um, and, like... A lot of it was them programming the machine to do things, but there was also a lot of like hand work that went into this, where like you've got the machine to assist you in terms of the precision that you're using, but it would be really difficult to program a robot to be able to do something like that. 
Um, so when it comes to, but I don't look at that so much as an assembly line because like they, they did all custom parts. So it's not like there would just be like a block of metal at one end of the factory and a finished part at the other end of the factory and like people working on it in sequence. Yeah, it was one It was more like a machine shop where like there's a project going on over there and there's a project going on over there and like there's sectors of the factory that kind of had machines that do one thing or another, but it wasn't like the same part just being made over and over. All right. Yeah, I can't think of anything that's But but assemb- like true assembly line work I see that it's already been heavily roboticized, and that trend's only going to continue. And contrary to what I was saying before about, um, like, uh, cashier jobs and RFID and capital investment, um, capital investment in robotics is much easier to swallow for a company because, one, it's skilled labor, and those robots are directly producing things. Versus the RFID is you are spending a ton of money to get back to the way, to where you already are. Yeah. You're not getting ahead. You're just trying to drop a whole bunch of money to do what you already do. Yeah, there's there's no real savings in that. All right, hit the hit the next one because yeah. Uh... Um, so we said assembly line workers, newspaper delivery jobs. Um, yeah, that's that's one that probably just needs to go away um, as. <laughs> Both of well, us have experienced directly what newspaper delivery is like. One of, one of the funniest stories that it doesn't come out funny in the story, but I'll tell it anyways, is we would, I had a newspaper delivery job for about a week and it, I, I was staying at my family's lake house and they kicked me out of the lake house midweek after I got this job. So I was living a half hour, 45 minutes away. Either way, we, we had to be at the paper depot at like three o'clock in the morning. So we ended up just I would recruit someone to to help help me because I needed to stay awake in the car. And I think a, a couple of I did it once maybe, or twice with you. Yeah, you you came with me and we had to get all the papers together, roll them all up, put them in the car. And then we had to go address by address, follow the map. And you uh, you took this one paper and you wound up and you whipped it out the window and like a frisbee, it caught the air. It started <laughs> turning vertically, and then it switched to horizontally and generated lift. And it just landed on their roof, <laughs> which, which if you're coming outside to get your uh, your New York Times or whatever, this is the Saratogian newspaper, and you can't find it, and you walk to the end of your driveway, and then you're like, ah, oh, it's not here, and then you walk back and you see this newspaper. No, we gave them another roof. one. We they got a free newspaper that day. Oh man, but, and I probably got docked fifty cents for my for my pay. Oh uh, no, they didn't yeah. inventory your newspapers. They gave you more than you needed every day. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm joking. But uh, uh, but so yeah, um, newspaper delivery jobs. That's something that like seems like of all the things would be one of the easiest to automate by drone. So you probably have one person that does a delivery route, but like they're gonna have probably let's say an ar- like army of ten drones or something, and. They just have like a pickup truck with a whole bunch of bundles of newspapers, and then they go to one location, send out ten drones, drive two hundred yards, send the ten drones out again. Because the one of the big hazards for drone delivery service is that not all packages are as unfragile as newspapers or as lightweight as newspapers. So getting a drone to be able to deliver something that weighs anywhere between five and ten pounds and can't be dropped from more than like six inches above the ground that's a hard problem for drones to solve but and this is for but uh, sorry go ahead finish finish what you're saying but yeah if you're trying to deliver a newspaper and the drone misses by a couple feet or it drops it from a little bit higher up undamaged who cares and they're all the same size at least for the day but the other thing is yeah it's easy it can easily be automated and turned into a drone service one like Domino's, i think is already doing that with pizzas Two, there's a lot less people reading and subscribing to physical newspapers right now. Yep. So I, I think that's going away completely. I also read about mailman jobs disappearing soon because a lot of people think about what you physically send in the mail. When was the last time you mailed anything physical from your mailbox? 
Um, times that I've had to mail something because I don't have stamps on me, like I go to the the post office and like <laughs> buy a stamp and mail it while and I am drop there. it at the post office. But it's my guess is it's probably it's probably fewer than six items over the last six months. So fewer than than one one item a month. However, that would be I correct. Can, I can guess that what you've had in your mailbox was the majority of times not requested. So it was. People mailing you probably about you seventy to ninety percent of my mail is stuff that I don't really need. Exactly. So, what's going to happen is, I mean, bills right now, almost all bills are paperless, you know, or at least should be. And uh, I, I just don't. I think we have a lot less, a lot lower utility for physical mail, and that means if the item that mail carriers are delivering has less utility. At yeah, but point, remember the mail carriers. A lot of like, there's still a lot of freight that's delivered by the U.S. Post Office in terms of online ordering. Like, you, so the post office still delivers a ton of packages, even well, that, like, yeah, that. But that's where I see mailman, what mailman becoming more like a FedEx or UPS like service. Less already a, in that direction. Yeah, but less, fewer and fewer letters and and actual paper mail. Um, but I think we can we can both agree on. Uh, yeah. newspaper and, and mail disappearing or changing, similar to like cashiers. Uh, yeah. Next, next one, one, near is, and dear to my heart, referee jobs. What are your thoughts on this? Because I I don't see... I, who wants to be watching a sports match that's like watching a video game where there's no personal, there's no margin of error, uh, there's no judgment calls, it's just it's all computerized all yeah. the calls so there there are kind of two categories of rules in sports there are kind of uh empirical rules and then there are arbitrary rules so empirical rules if you think about like in a baseball game like where the ball lands on the field like you hit and if the ball lands on the on the wrong side of the foul stripe, it's a foul ball. If it lands on the right side of the foul stripe, it's a fair ball, right? So there's not really interpretation there. It's just where did the ball land? Or in tennis, like a serve, is the ball in or out? Well, we can look and see where the ball landed. And okay, so where are you going with this? So you could you can automate those kinds of things. You and in a lot of sports already have like tennis has Hawkeye. For players to challenge a referee's call of in or out, but it's and still they can on have the, the video referee first. Still on well, the referee first. Yeah. But there's no reason why you couldn't, if you had the system set up so that way it gave like a loud buzzer for a serve that's out. If yeah. it was fast, but the problem is it needs to be as fast as the as the referee would make it, which is probably within. One is probably within two one hundredths of a second of the play, because if you're serving, like if you're receiving the serve, you don't have much more than two tenths of a second after the ball hits the ground to hit the ball yeah, back. It, it's all instinctual. Yeah. Um, and same thing with have, a good referee. Yeah. So for and and baseball is toyed with the idea of automating strike zone calls. Ooh, using good. similar technology of we can 3D, 3D map the path that the ball took through the strike zone or not the strike zone, and you can just build a 3D space for what the strike zone for each player is, and then using the video, you could probably within a half second say whether it was a ball or a strike. So, but um, I feel like you were saying that there's an element that can't be autom automated. So that's where... But it so the the arbitrary so calls fouls. What is and what isn't a foul? So in something let's like think football, about football. Soccer, What's yeah. pass interference? Basketball. When is something pass interference and when is it not? When is it offensive holding or defensive holding in soccer? Well, that's analyzing that's analyzing like intention of the opposing player, right? Not necessarily. Um, one of the big things that we're taught as referees is like you can't read intention you have to go by what happened like what the player meant to do doesn't matter it's what happened because if you have in soccer for example a slide tackle where the player's um, foot skids off the ground goes up over the ball and then their cleats go into the other player's shin like that's a red card 
Did the player mean to do that? I don't know. Maybe it was an accident. But the result of the play was you went in with your shins to the guy's stud above the ball. That's a red card. Mm. And if the player says, but I didn't mean to, and you could say his shins in two pieces, and that's where your, <laughs> your, your, your cleat contacted yeah. him, here's your red. That's what happens. Um, and to be able to get a computer program to be able to, in real time, have the angle necessary to see what happened and be able to recognize all the factors of a foul or a not a foul is really difficult. Secondly, and this is really important in soccer, um, is there's the entire concept of advantage, which is the referee saw a foul, but realizes that calling the foul would put the team that would receive the foul. So like, I'm going to get a direct free kick because of this foul. But by stopping the play and forcing me to take the free kick, that takes away the advantage that I have because I was able to get out of that foul, and now I have less defenders in front of me. So yes, it was a foul, but it's better for the referee not to call it because we've got the play still. And what is and isn't advantage is really, really difficult to explain unless you have a video in front of you. Like, it's always a case-by-case. And it's oftentimes a player-by-player decision where I will, when I'm refereeing higher-level games and I see a player get fouled and, like, the play continues on or I give, or I actually formally give the advantage, um, I'll oftentimes go back to that player and say, if I didn't blow the whistle and, like, like, I didn't announce advantage, I'll oftentimes say, hey, I saw you were getting fouled there, but you were able to lay the ball off to your teammate, and he kept on going. Like, you lose the ball there, I can call the foul for you. You're good with that. And some players will say, no, man, I'd rather just have the foul today. And other players are like, yeah, I'm good with that. We kept going. And but, so, it's your, but it's your judgment call to make as the referee. It's my judgment call to make, but it's also a way for me to work with the players to give them the kind of game they want to play. All right. Okay. Cool. Hit the hit the next. And I don't see how you I can ever get a computer to do that. I think you summed that up very well. It's it's, you, it's your job to give them the game that they want to play. All right. Hit the next one here because right. we're train we're driver jobs. This, this one I, I agree with. Well, yeah. I feel like that's automated driving, except way easier. <laughs> no, yeah. You're not even turning really. Yeah, because it, train it, tracks you could very easily program zones where when the train passes, you could just have like. Uh, like a little QR code or something that the front of the camera, the front camera of the train sees, because you know trains have speed limits too, in terms of the banking of the track and everything else. Yeah. So it, in a straight line, the train's going 100 miles an hour, and then it's coming up to a curve, and so a quarter mile out, there's an RFID, not an RFID, a QR that says 80, and then when you get to the curve, there's another one that says 50, and so the train camera reads the QR code, dials down the speed makes it through the curve because you don't have to steer. There's no steering wheel on a train. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's, a, that's an easy one. All right. Uh, next. Next. Nurse jobs. I disagree with this one. I, I think, completely disagree with this one. I think that we're going to actually see a lot more medical care staff. And I think that as there's more people unemployed as a result of technology, and there's more people spending more time at home and more people involved in virtual reality. We I mean, just think of the dawn of television, and which, is, which was a major boost in technology, and then the amount of time that people spent at home watching, consuming television, obviously skyrocketed before television was commonplace. And people got sicker. People got unhealthier. So they needed more health care. And I think health care is something that requires a yeah. personal... Well, the article says... like. Robot nurses are already well established to like carry meals, like like po. I don't know what post means in the nursing world. Like change bed linens, like deliver drugs and dressings to patients. But like, if you're just delivering pills that a patient needs to take, sure, you could just have like a little robot with like deliver a tray to a room. Or if you need to have a robot take away old linens, sure. But like someone still has to put new linens on the bed. And well, also, if it's an injection, no. do you really want a robot administering your injection? But also, no robot is going to be changing diapers. <laughs> so, uh-huh. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I disagree with that one. All right, let's hit the next I, one. I'm saying we... changing linens of like changing the bed linens. We're like, but I, yeah, but I'm saying changing diapers, which is a which is a real job that you know that that nurses actually do. So yeah, I so I don't think I, I I really disagree with that. I think like some of the absolute lowest level nursing work, maybe that can get automated in some way, but probably eighty five to ninety percent of what nursing is is very human centric yeah hit the next one because that's you basically All right, last just... one of jobs that are going away pharmacist jobs i disagree with this one too you you disagree the yes the pills are the pills are already made it's pharmacist job is basically putting the pills into the bottle right that's not what their job is what what is their job you don't need to I'm go to pharmacy at? school for like three or four years to be able to find a pill in the back and put it into a smaller pill bottle in the front. So what is it specifically that it's, what am Pharmacist? I missing? So when, when you get a prescription from your doctor and you take it to CVS and you drop it off with the pharmacist, the pharmacist will call the doctor and 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 verify that the prescription was written by them so that exactly. way it's that, easily like, automated though easily that automated. that part is okay However, part. the pharmacist will also be like asking the doctor what other drugs is he on but that's easily our healthcare system is super far behind but all of that should be so, should be available but, and, online, and so, online personal medical profile so yeah but the, the pharmacist will then be comparing the drug that you were just prescribed and making sure that it is safe for you to take given the other drugs you are taking. Sure, but if we all have personal online medical uh, profiles and everything that's prescribed to us is saved there, which I really think is where we ought to be already, that yeah. should be done pretty easily. We're not there, um, but that's no. what we're talking about in the future. But so pharmacists have almost a doctor's level of understanding, but it's just limited to medications and drugs. Um, and so they they are going to be like be able to tease out when there's a problem with a prescription. And also, like I know that you or I probably are less likely to ask this question, but when you get your prescription from the pharmacist, they will answer questions that you have about like how to properly take the drug or like potential side effects. And they're kind of filling another role that your doctor can. And I, I think that that aspect is also going to be difficult because sure, I can go online and Google side effects of this drug and how to take this drug like safely and appropriately. But the pharmacist is going to be able to explain that better because I'm going to be able to ask the exact questions I want instead of getting a general answer from WebMD. Yeah, slightly more personalized. I I still disagree with you on this one, but um, but we'll see how it plays out. So let's hit the future jobs. The jobs actually right. before we do that, I just want to go down a list of, of other jobs that I found outside of this article that I think uh, may not exist in in the future. So one is uh, fast food. People that work in fast food. Uh, let's see, bank teller, textile jobs, uh, printed media, a lot of jobs around printed media, even writers. There's a lot of articles that I read now that are not written by an actual human. Uh, taxi, car dispatcher, now that we have uh, Uber and, and Lyft. Uh, and I read somewhere Lumberjack but I don't necessarily agree with that. They're just saying that we're using I agree less with the, the, wood. The, more so with the first few that you listed, like lumberjack. I don't really see how you can automate that job in a safe way. That would well, say, saying, that would actually be cost effective for a. Company. They're saying we're using less wood, and the job is changing a, a little bit. Um, and then uh, also I on the, on the list, you see lumber prices in the last year. Oh yes. Um, and then also up there with Lumberjack, and I left this out because I, I also don't agree. I, this is on the same level as Lumberjack to me, is fishing industry. Uh, they're saying the fishing industry is going to be changing over the next decade to two decades. And I, so I, I mean, guess, I buy into that a little bit. I guess there's two categories that we need to think about here in terms of one is like industries that are just going to be slowly phasing out. 
and then the other is going to be industries that are going to continue to exist but use more automated labor because if you want to talk about that truckers yeah well exactly all right so let's let's hit these future jobs that don't exist yet uh because now we got some catching up to do we're past our halfway point guys and we're not halfway through the list and we're not ha- well this list is longer than the No, that's last why we're not halfway list. through. So, uh AI ethicist, the job advocate for the ethical and legal matters regarding the creation and distribution of AI-based tech products. The skills they must be into philosophy as ro- as robots uh and then fluency in analytics. And apparently these are jobs that Apple, Microsoft and Google are already hiring for. So I, I'm not sure that I think that's a, like an example of who would be hiring. It, no, it says now hiring. Oh, uh, maybe, maybe I don't know. Yeah, and this is careerswithstem.com, uh, and it's it's an Australian-based uh, article. So, but but basically, the the ethics in the background of creating AI and what AI should have control over and what decisions AI should be able to make for people. Yeah, so you, I think you, you'd almost need to have someone with like a degree, like a dual major, philosophy and comp sci. Yeah, at 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 the very least, um, yeah, I I think those two would definitely be a prerequisite because you have to have major technical abilities, but then you also have to have that philosophy, uh, ethical, morality type uh, type background. I'm going to try to go fast. I don't think that's going to be a huge industry, but I like I think that for like big companies that having a department that does it would probably that, that makes sense to me. It's just a lot of thinking, right? It's a lot of thinking and then and then all the people that work in that department don't have to have the philosophy and the coding background. No, you probably have, have, have some people that are more specialized in one area or the other and it's like the engineering department says, "Hey, this is what we want our new program to do here's all the, all of its capabilities and it would probably be almost like a legal compliance thing of like the ai ethicists are going to read through it and say here's where you're good here's where you're bad here are the areas that are problematic but can be fixed yeah you're gonna have the people that code and you're gonna have the people that think That's, yeah it's almost uh, like an audit team yeah um so next one is a self-driving car mechanic and I, I think what they're, they're saying the job uh, to perform maintenance and repair jobs on autonomous self-driving vehicles. Well, that to me sounds like a regular mechanic. My thinking, though, is that you're, if we have self-driving unmanned cars, they're, they're not going to be specifically self-driving mechanics, but they're going to be mechanics that make road calls. So when a I self-driving car... I think it's also car, going to be, like, when it comes to, like... Self-driving, autonomous vehicles, it's going to be a lot on the computer programming side of, like... Well, but hang on. What is going wrong in the computer program to make this thing stop running red lights or something? So so, so I think the job will entail somebody going out to service the vehicles on the street. And because vehicles are becoming more tech-based and a lot more on the programming end that you're going to have more technical issues than mechanical issues. So this person is going to have to have that computer engineering, technical coding background, just like what you were saying. Uh, but they're going to, I think they're going to be making uh, like house calls, but, but more road calls. So they'll be, they'll be going to service these cars on the side of the road because they yeah. don't need to be towed to a shop when, they can, when you can plug in and some programming from a, from a laptop at the car. Yeah, flash the BIOS on your car. Come on. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. What am I missing on the comments? First, uh, before we hit the next one, I want to say uh, uh, hello to TikTok. I see Jess. I see Therese. Let's see. I see a few people on the uh, on the TikTok. So say hi to them. Yo quiero entender. Ha ha ha. Uh, okay. Well. Uh, we got Wendy Romero, who's listening to us on TikTok. I believe she only speaks Spanish. want to say hi to Glassy, K. Joe, Gilmore Estates that I see on Instagram and uh, 
let's get back to this list. So human technology integration specialist. Now, what they're saying is someone to collaborate with teachers uh, to create future-focused learning environments that embrace the newest digital learning resources. And I think to me that sounds like a bullshit title. It it sounds like a title that doesn't exactly match the job description. But the fact that we have kids in schools reading from textbooks, and if you if you've been to a school, uh, I mean I, I have not spent much. Time I haven't in been in a school, school in ten years. Yeah, and and longer for me. But from what I see on TV and 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 in movies, schools of today have not changed very much at all when it comes to technology and things like that. You, you, the technology being used in schools. I, I will. I will say actually, during coronavirus, you have a huge amount of the New York City population that were distributed iPads, and I thought that was really cool. And an iPad is, you know, books cost a fuck ton of money. An iPad costs, you know, eight hundred bucks, or you know, probably you're overpaying at eight hundred bucks. But um, you can get the most up to date books on that iPad, and you don't have to spend one hundred and fifty dollars a textbook. Yeah, the school would pay a licensing fee because, sure, like part of what you're paying for in a in a book is the IP. A, a large part of it is going to be the paper and the printing and the actual just mass of the book. But we also need in this country we really need to bring the education sector way up to date, and and we need to employ technology to do so. Um, and the All next, right, next. telesurgeon operate on patients remotely via surgical. Uh, a surgical robotic system. So, um, this one's already existing in some in small degrees. In what in what sense? Because I like you're not having open heart surgery. I said uh, small degrees with somebody who's remote. Like they're still there, being aided by the robot. What so, what am I? Yeah. Noticing? So what's the difference between like a lot of surgery today is completed where the doctor is in the room with the patient but mm -hmm. it's being done robotically and they're controlling the robot from like the other side of the room and so there have been experiments of like the doctor not being in the room like there's there's going to be a doctor in the room to like definitely an anesthesiologist and probably a doctor there to supervise but, but the, the surgeon the might surgeon, not be in the same yeah. zip code interesting interesting i can see that taking yeah i can see i mean no surprise there. All right, next one. Personal data broker. Uh, the job, collect personal information about consumers and sell it to other brokers, companies, and individuals. Yo, this so, one's terrifying. Well, the thing is, a lot of companies already collect our personal data, our browsing data. And I don't have an issue with that. But a lot of people have been fear-mongered into eliminating companies from tracking their data. And... You know what the Nielsen uh, TV ratings are? Yeah. Nielsen was a company that basically, I, I think they ins they either surveyed their customers or installed devices on their cable box. It started boxes. with surveys, and then they, de they developed a device that they would just install on the TV, and it would record, like, what channel you were watching. Yeah, so they... And then so they periodically, like, they would just go around, just like you would read, like, electricity meters. Like, Nielsen would just go around to their Nielsen families and just, like pull the data from the Nielsen meters, compile it, and that was what the ratings were. Yeah, and the, yeah, so the, t the shows that got the most viewing um, you know, were the ones that had companies selling them commercials at, at the highest prices. Um, and now we have so many people that are afraid to share their personal information. I think that there are going to be some particular consumers that fit certain demographics that will be prime subjects to sell their browsing history and, 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 and shopping history and viewing history, et cetera, et cetera. You know, how much time they're spending on TikTok, how much time they're spending on Twitter, how much time they're spending on Facebook and YouTube. So I, I, I see, I don't know about a broker, but I think on an individual level, people could potentially be selling that. You know, maybe, the, maybe they're selling Right now, everyone's giving it away for free. Yeah, but maybe their cell phone company comps them, you know, 50% off the bill or $50 off the I think a ton of people would be like, oh, you just want access to this and you want to knock 25 bucks off my bill? Fuck yeah. <laughs> I was on the phone with uh, insur like my insurance company updating my policy, and they asked me if I wanted to download the app or whatever and save 10%, and I said no. Oh, for like, the car? 
Yeah, we're for the motorcycle. Driving and stuff like that. And I says, I will pay 10% to not have you guys know what I'm doing at all times. Thank you very much. Yeah, so the, so the, the vehicle insurance companies want you to download an app which tracks your speed and your acceleration and your, your braking. Um, so they know if you're an aggressive driver and how fast you're going. And if you, if you drive the speed limits and you don't drive aggressively, you will get a reduction on your bill. Fuck that shit. Yeah, I wouldn't, even take, I wouldn't even take that deal if it meant my insurance was free. Yeah, well, you, because you and I fall out outside of that category. All right, I got ten <laughs> minutes left, and, and I'm, I'm not even a th- I'm, I'm, I'm almost a third of the way through this. Three D right, printed, three D printed chef, a professional cook who whips up meals by programming a three D printer. All right, so I got the mashed potato cartridge, I got the gravy cartridge, and I got the hot dog, uh, pink goo cartridge and uh you're gonna i feel like that one's meal. really far off like 3d printing has its uses but it's also still like a, a new technology and uh like being able to get 3d printing to work with food that doesn't taste awful is just it's way out there right now yeah i think the biggest issue with 3d printers is that they print on an xy axis and it's it's very restrictive. You just think they're they're basically they're going you know this way and this way, but yeah, it's it's X Y and then go up one Z X Y go up one Z. So you print in layers. Yeah, but there's no lateral there's no lateral printing, which you know which is when it comes to the structure, it it messes with the structural integrity because you don't have. I'm just thinking about like I've seen some 3D printed foundations for homes. And to me, they just they don't look as stable as a traditional, uh, traditional uh, foundation for a home where you get pressure from the sides that hold it in place while it dries. Yeah, I don't see three D printed chef as being something ever anything more than a novelty. That's like a couple restaurants do. I. I would love to read more and watch some YouTube videos about three D printing technology where you can download recipes and you can that, i mean that that could be fucking huge but i can't picture, i don't see yeah it, it's really it just doesn't come together in my head i'm thinking of back to the future where they put like a little tiny disc in their microwave and then eight seconds go by microwave dings and they're like oh we just you know we we rehydrated the food and they come out with a full 18 inch pizza out of the yeah that's just that's not gonna happen let's hit the I, next it, one though this one will be pretty quick yeah, this one's easy. Commercial space pilot. Um, well, that's already basically a job. And luckily, those pilots are getting paid what uh, our original airline pilots were getting were getting paid back in the 60s and 70s, probably more right now. And I do think that we're going to see a rise. In, I mean, we, we, we've seen a rise, but I think we're going to see a, a much greater rise in commercial space flight. Um, which is pure recreation. Like there's very limited utility. Yeah, but you can, like, sake of doing you it. can expand that just a tiny bit. And like right now, most airplanes fly between thirty-five and forty thousand feet. If you were to raise that flight ceiling to a hundred thousand feet or whatever, it would require considerable engineering in terms of the airplanes. But your top speed's a lot higher, and you could have flights moving at like Mach three or four, and like a flight that takes 12 or 14 hours might only take like two or three. But uh, mm-hmm. the technology is not quite there, but it's it, it's a proven concept. It's just not commercially viable. Yeah, I I just meant for recreation to hit some zero G and and then oh yeah yeah. And, but just there's hands. there's also a transportation argument mm-hmm. for it if technology progresses a little bit further. Yeah, well, I mean, planes right now have, you know, the higher they fly, the less resistance they have. Uh, but the, the, I think they have uh, poor fuel economy because there's less oxygen up there. So uh, I think that's the trade-off right now is, is how high you go and how, what your fuel economy is. So you'd, well, you'd think you'd have be to have different, different types of engines for different altitudes. And then also you you have a further distance to go because you now have a further circumference that you're you're traveling basically. That that is so minor. Mm, okay. Uh, all right. Next if one. If you're on looking here. at a thousand mile j- trip, 
the extra seven miles to like go the, the extra well, yeah, seven okay. miles yeah, up you, and you, seven you, miles down. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's I, I don't know what the math is, but I'm sure it has something to do with pie. And it I like pie. It, <laughs> I like pie too. Uh I actually right, I next. prefer I, I prefer the math concept of pie over actual pie just because it's uh, I do, I'm you know, the fun. other way around. I like uh, mm -hmm. like a chocolate walnut pie. All right, coding ethicist. I don't like one. I don't like pecans um, in the pie, at least coding ethicist. Uh, the job ensuring companies adhere to global computing standards of ethics when creating technologies and their algorithms. So it's obviously a lot you got, like the AI ethicist. It, it to me, it's, it's the same idea. Uh, and then the question is, like, are, are you going to have punishments for companies that break ethics just i you know, think there used to be like the there used to be like unwritten rules of ethics and back in the day it used to be like attorneys wouldn't advertise their services right like mm -hmm. there can can you think of some other unspoken ethics that have ha, have are foregone can you think of anything outside of uh, the one thing that comes to mind is attorneys wouldn't solicit i i, I this is one of those ones where like my brain knows that there's a ton of examples. I know I'm in the, I'm in the same place, but nothing's on the tip of my tongue. I just know right. that I, if I thought about it, you know, for for seven minutes, I could come up with a list of forty of them. Yeah, but, but seven uh, minutes is about how much time we have left. So let's move on. Um, okay, next one is human machine team manager. The job to develop and manage a system in the workplace where human and AI employees communicate to generate a better business outcome. Um, um, if I was ever in an environment where I had to communicate with an AI employee, like I'd, I'd be at home spending all of my spare time developing an EMT, EMP device. <laughs> you have to. We're not. We're not going to finish this this list today. Um, you have to watch this. It's on Amazon Prime. It's uh, it's called Upload, and the idea, and I might have brought it up to you before, but the idea is they basically take this guy's memories and they uh, chop his head off, basically, and create an AI version of him. But it's supposed to be fully conscious, and obviously with technology we don't have right now. So there's an AI version of him that people in the real world can interact with, and then the AI version of him interacts in the in the virtual reality world. And I just watched season two, and now they have the technology to download the AI consciousness back into a physical clone replica of the person. Um, but the fact yeah, that people, there's all sorts of ethical issues there. <laughs> lots of ethical issues, but also the fact that people in the real world are communicating with an AI version of a real person, I think is is pretty pretty cool. Actually, it, it's a terrible storyline. It doesn't. It's just a terrible show. But I like the implications and the technology and, and the stuff that, that they're talking about that you wouldn't normally think of, like watching Demolition Man, which is just a, a popcorn uh, movie, but it actually has some really cool ideas in it. Let's hit the next one. This is number 10 of 15. And I suppose, you know, we'll, uh, uh, that, that's the end of this list for now. Actually, I'm going to hit the next two. AR Journey Builder, the job to collaborate with tech artists to create immersive 3D content that enhances the user's experience. So basically, when somebody's in VR, you are. This is somebody who's building the the reality. They're 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 basically a coder, and they're creating design that you experience when you're in the VR. And then the, the next one, I'll hit this one real quick, is a garbage designer. And this person's job is to deal with the world's massive waste problem by upcycling garbage and creating better quality items. So, so basically, they are retooling our waste, our waste system. And we already know that we do a very shitty job at recycling and composting with, na with natural biodegradable items. A job pioneered in Detroit. <laughs> uh, isn't that where Demolition Man takes place in Detroit? No, I, uh, I was no. really going to make a knock on like Chrysler. Mm. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, it's 
we're going to have a garbage issue, I think, in the future because we consume a hell of a lot. And I think that the amount that we consume and the amount of waste that we produce, that number goes up every year, right? Uh, yeah. I don't know. And I've never seen stats on this, but I can only imagine that we consume more year over year and we produce more waste year over year. Yeah. I don't know what the trend is. It's up. I don't know how steeply up. But no, we haven't gotten to the point where like we're reducing yet. All right, All next right. one. No, we're we're out of time. So we're, we'll we'll wrap this list in the beginning of the next episode. We got a ton of questions we want to answer too. So I guess we're gonna have to hit those in the next episode as well. I want to thank you guys for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, follow on TikTok, Instagram, uh, any of the other social media platforms, and let us know your questions for future episodes because we really enjoy answering those. That's our cue. James, anything you want to add before we roll out? No, we hit it. All right. Thank you to Rash Galeb for feeding us your comments while we were live. Hey to Coco Chin Chin. And on that note, we are out. Adios, everyone. Letters. See ya. All right. That concludes episode 176. We missed a couple of these future jobs that don't exist yet. You'll have to tune in next episode for that. But... In order to catch next episode, it would help you to subscribe to this podcast. So make sure you follow, you subscribe, and interacting with this podcast, whether it's a comment, uh, a share, a subscription, it helps us. It helps us grow. And we want to grow because uh, right now we're like that little Mario guy. We're just looking for the mushrooms so we can get bigger. So uh, send us some mushrooms, all right? All right, guys. See you next time. Thanks. I like PBR. I just got priced out of it.